As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, the world-famous Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly. I've got my more serious voice on because of events at Stamford Bridge last night. I'm joined in the podcast today by both Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. Charlie, you've been telling us for months that Spurs are good enough to finish in fourth place. Has Arsenal's result last night changed your mind in the slightest? No. God, for God's <laughs> sake. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Bye. <laughs> no. I mean, they've taken, Arsenal have taken three points from their last four games. Uh, no, it's, it's, it, it's obviously makes it closer, but I, I still think Spurs will get it looking at uh, games to come. Which, although in saying that, I mean, obviously forecasting based on run-ins has been shown to be a bit of a folly given Arsenal have lost three and won one when I think most people thought they'd probably win three and lose one and that the game they'd lose would be Chelsea and that's the only game they've won. Likewise with Spurs, we probably thought of the previous three, Brighton looked like being the most straightforward, Brighton at home, and that was the game that uh, that they lost. But yeah, that being said, I still think Spurs will do it. I mean, there was a lot of um, it's in their handsing yesterday about Arsenal, but it's also in Spurs' hands. I mean, they play each other and Spurs have the better goal difference, so they do have the advantage. Spurs are playing Liverpool though. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But I, but I, so the goal difference might not be, yeah, exactly. might not be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Arsenal have got United and West Ham the next couple of games, and also I think Newcastle <coughs> away. Manchester, well, Uni- Manchester United. Yeah, but you know, know what? You know what will happen. You They're know what will happen. Did the double over Spurs? West Ham Did the double over West Ham? West Ham, beat Ham Arsenal. West Ham are not going to care about this game. They're going to bin it off, and rightly so. But West Ham should bin that game off. West Ham's West Ham will play Spurs in the middle of their two semi-finals in Europe, won't they? We'll play Arsenal, yeah. Coffee's gone down the wrong way. Yeah, Arsenal. Um, look, <coughs> James, that's calm, James. Charlie, 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 Charlie let, let me stop you right there, and we will come back to it. I'm getting opening statements here now, like it's a, a court of law. James, uh, earlier on, uh, people on Twitter were saying, "Ah, good, there's a meltdown going on." Among Spurs fans, I hope we're going to hear something more rational on the view from the lane. I mean, um, where where oh, have you yeah. been all season? Uh, what were yeah, you expecting? Wrong, wrong podcast. Uh, I mean, what, what was the name of that guy? The 
Iraqi defence minister in like 2002, 2004. Comical Ali. That's that's Charlie. It's absolutely fine. There's no Im- imminent collapse yeah, here. Nothing it's to see be, here. It's all going to be fine. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's a nightmare. It's all going wrong. It was a calamity, wasn't it, though, last night? I, I've got to say, Chelsea, I, 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 yeah. I can't believe how they played yesterday. I, I, like that, that, The third Arsenal goal was one of the most ludicrous goals I've ever seen in a Premier League. If, Char- <laughs> if Charlie's team had conceded that goal on a Sunday morning, you play Sunday morning, don't you? Not Sunday. Mm. Sunday, yeah. Sorry, RIP mm. Charlie's former team, sorry. Still uh, you'd be livid if you conceded that goal, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's it's comedy capers um, stuff. I mean, the thing, the weird thing is, I was saying this before to Tom, and and a lot of people have made this point. It is really odd how City to Spurs, have, Chelsea to Arsenal have become almost what City are to Spurs. It's this weird. So City, I think Spurs have beaten City four out of the last five times. And in the last five meetings between Arsenal and Chelsea, Arsenal have won three yeah. and drawn one. I've been saying, so sorry, sorry, wait a second. I've been saying that all season. Every time you've said Arsenal have got a game in hand, but it's against Chelsea, so it doesn't count. I've said to you, Arsenal always They'll beat win. Chelsea. So I was right. As I said, now it's my turn to say I've been right the whole time. That Arsenal would beat in Chelsea. In your face. Can I join in the I, I was right the whole time um, brigade insofar as after the game, Thomas Tuchel said that he blamed himself for the Chelsea selection. I have to say that was two hours too late because I blamed him before the game started. <laughs> um, I was going to watch the match. When I saw Chelsea's lineup, I thought, I'm not going to watch this now because I have an inkling what's going to happen. I mean, Christensen and Zaha are their third and fourth choice centre-backs. Aspicueta, more about him later, can play centre-back, but he's playing at right wing-back. Whereas Reese James, the best right wing back in the country, with all due respect to Trent Alexander-Arnold, is playing at centre-back. This is straight out of the UEFA coaching manual, isn't it? The fans think they know what's best because they've watched millions of games of football. You must do something different to justify earning a quarter of a million pounds a week. <laughs> the idiot. The idiot. <laughs> Next up. Uh, yeah, I, can, I haven't. Hold on, no, let, me, let me come back. Let me come back. <laughs> When was the last time, you, you're the stats man here, Charlie. When was the last man that, the time that Ruben Loftus-Cheek played two successive good games of association football? No one can remember because mm. it's never happened. And he's in the team. I had to, you know, I had to then, thought he looked all right, actually, Loftus-Cheek. The, re, the reintroduction <laughs> of the completely out of form, not wanting to be there, Romelu Lukaku, smacked to me of football manager, where you've got a game that doesn't matter against a team you think you're going to beat, and you reintroduce a fringe player. And of course, Arsenal could see this coming, the complacency of Chelsea. He reverts to a back three, partially, of course, to be rational, to use that word, about it, because they've been having such defensive calamities. But also they could see that we're going to probably play Lukaku in, in what for them was a semi-meaningless game. It was a nonsense selection by Chelsea. And if it had been a meaningful game for them, it's exactly the sort of selection that gets managers the sack when they do concede four goals at home immediately afterwards. But of course, you know, he's he has gotten to six cup finals in his time he's been there. And they're champions of Europe until a couple of weeks ago. I get it. He can do what the hell he likes. But it was a, it was a, ho- I'm sure Chelsea fans knew it too. It was a horrible selection by Tuchel. I mean, I, I don't make you wrong on, wrong on any part of that other than maybe the Loftus Cheek thing I thought did mm-hmm. okay. But so, someone tweeted after the game last night all of Chelsea's home league games, like the last 12 home league games, and they had won, I think, three. Two of those they scored after the 85th minute and scraped it, which I think were against Leeds and Newcastle. Uh, and the other one, they won comfortably. Does anyone would anyone care to venture who they beat comfortably at home? Spurs was it? Spurs, we won. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> it is mad that matchup, like that Chelsea Spurs matchup, 
what seems to work so bad for Spurs, and yet the City one seems to work so well for them. I mean, obviously with City, they do leave big gaps in behind, but yeah. the way Chelsea played, I mean, it was, it, yeah, it was bizarre. I mean, Conte talked, kept going on about how Brighton closed the space really well on Saturday. And I think that's something Chelsea do also. So maybe that's the There's just like the a complete key. lack of intensity, wasn't there? And I do think like, uh, I don't think this is too strong a statement. I do think sometimes like, you know, you're Chelsea, you're, they're probably going to finish third. I know they're only what, like kind of five points ahead of Spurs with a game in hand or whatever, but they're, they're going to finish third, I'm sure. They've got the cup final ahead of them. The season's sort of petering out, certainly in the league. And I just think like, you're going to struggle for that extra, like, or for that last sort of five, 10, 15% of sort of motivation and drive. And then you kind of put a couple of out of form players in the team as well. You're, you're always going to play badly. And fit physically as well. I just thought they looked yeah, tired. They I, thought, played, I, thought I mean, they played like a super number of games this season. Just yeah, well. exactly. I mean, to be fair, they were coming off a week where they went to Real Madrid. How much that must have taken out of them. Then the semi-final at Wembley on Sunday. So they had a shorter turnaround. So I do think as, as much as it's mental, I think physically as well, they just looked a bit knackered in the second half. Which might be why Danny Tuchel would say, I do know better than the fans because I know the conditioning of these players inside out. You don't. That is literally the only excuse. They dig that ditch and they stand in it and they go and, and they force people to say, Thomas, I've got a living to make. I cannot be down there in Cobham or wherever the, <laughs> wherever the hell that is and be watching them as well. I know what I know. I see what I see. And I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying you're stupid, but don't make out that I'm stupid. He's, Do me that favour, will he you? He's going to find talk sport. That'd be great. <laughs> oh, well, and, so, and, and as soon as he gets the sack, he will be, I'll be talking, he'll be my co-host. <laughs> on a Monday night on the press box <laughs> and I'll be telling them exactly the same thing as you to tell Gordon Strachan the same thing <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> Gordon Strachan with your European Cup wait. Um, no he didn't no so that Chelsea's selection I mean you have to say Arsenal took full advantage of it I, I thought Arsenal's selection I, I don't understand why he hasn't been I, look I know Nketiah hasn't scored for a year but if he isn't a more threatening player than Alexander Lacazette who puts in a shift I'm not going to go at Alexander Lacazette here then I don't know again the evidence of my own eyes and I was saying to herself here when she's been bemoaning the lack of goals at Arsenal they've got a, at least got they've got a proper striker at the club but they won't play him for whatever reasons and you have to yeah. trust them and in that case it's not you don't see him in training it is you have to trust the process I would have been curious to know on that first goal how close towards goal Lacazette could have reached before being caught. So when, when Christensen plays the ball back and Aketa obviously takes it in score, I think Lacazette would have got to about 30 yards from goal before he was caught up. I genuinely think he's that slow before he sort of had to He'd have turned back and looked for a, a pass. Yeah. But that's okay. They, yeah, every that's player what has their qualities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's there to facilitate. He, but he there is a yeah. point at which you think not being able to score a goal is maybe an issue for a team. And I... I did say that a couple of weeks ago. I know. I know. We Even must get on. Palace. We must get on to so Manchester I was United. Right, not James. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> In this, this ongoing battle of, of rectitude. Yes. Yeah. Um, just because we, you know, we're not supposed to be uh, analysing the Oppo too much. Although, of course, in the running to these very close uh, races at the end of the season, you have to look at what other teams are doing. That is the nature of the thing. What was um, Cesar Aspilicueta been in this country ten years? Knows the, the drill. What was he doing at the end of the game? Anybody got any clue? Well, c- can we all agree, just first of all, whatever we think about football, that Aspilicueta is a bit of a... I don't want to use a swear word. No. It means we have to bleep it out. But that penalty, he... There's this this rule in football, this weird unwritten rule in football that to get a penalty... If, if you, as a defender, commit five or six sort of mini fouls on someone, you know the way how you would outside of the box. And if you do that, what happens is the 
guy who's being fouled sort of stops as if say like and puts his hands out as if say come on that's a foul and a free kick is given but there's a rule that if it's in the penalty area you have to go down there has to be a moment there has to be a foul moment that merits the penalty so as Pedro thinks well I'll get away with this if I do what I always and because he's he's a big one for doing this sort of thing a lot of gamesmanship with this guy and I do I do hope referees wise up to the fact that players like him do this sort of thing thinking they can get away with it and then his absolute incredulity when he finally got caught and then yeah he's rowing with a fan at the end I think he, he's a big one for posturing and you know getting in people's faces and things and so I think he was put out by someone questioning his motivation which to be fair he, he clearly is really motivated but uh yeah I just thought that that whole situation at the end was quite funny him arguing with the fan it, well. it's really a good look unless you're Eric Dyer and you actually get into the crowd it's really a good look yeah, make it with count. home fans yeah if you're gonna do it get banned for doing it you know don't stand there 20 yards away waving your hands about one last thing on this, and I will move on to Manchester United then. I feel like Grandpa Simpson shouting at clouds now. I'm obsessed with that defeat at home to Brighton because as well as, I know it's only three points. I get that it's three points, but results have a resonance way beyond the, the mere three points. And that is this. If Spurs had won that game, they would have still put some distance between themselves and Arsenal, but they would have also put pressure on Chelsea and Chelsea would not have been allowed to pick that useless second team that they did. So you have to be careful sometimes about um, the value of victories, particularly this late in the season. I know it's exactly the same three points you get you win or lose in September, but, it's, but they it, do have more meaning now. It's also the pressure it puts on that game at Brentford on Saturday and more than that, the pressure it's going to put on the North London derby in yeah. three weeks' time or whenever it is. Uh, it's just going to completely ratchet that up through the roof. So, yeah, it's more than just losing a one-off game that has ultimately still left them in fourth for the time being. I think it could be like a quite... A, there's potential for that to be quite a big like momentum shift, particularly now Arsenal have won a big game. Oh, it has been. There is a shift in the, in the in psychological momentum. You only hear the nervousness in our voices. Can we at least agree on something and not have too much of I told you so and I was right? Are Manchester United now out of the race, Charlie? I mean, I thought they were for like until a week or so ago. And I absolutely don't think they will do it because I don't think they're good enough. I don't think they're well organised enough. But the way the season's going, the rhythm of the season, it wouldn't be a huge shock if it all changed if they won if they you know in the way that they've beaten Arsenal already beaten Spurs twice beaten West Ham twice if suddenly out of nowhere they produce a performance nick a win on Saturday and all of a sudden you're looking at the league table and saying how how on earth are United actually they'd be level on points with Spurs Spurs would have two games in hand but I don't think that the way like Given how many shocks there have been, even in just the last couple of weeks, and given the nature of the top four race, and I'll, maybe we'll get onto that, all these teams are going to be inconsistent. I don't think we can definitively say they're out of it, even though I'd be, I would still be very surprised if they got it. I mean, they definitely couldn't lose that game on Saturday, could they? Because if they, lo- if they lost, oh, no, they if they lost to they Arsenal, yeah. then they're six points behind Arsenal. Arsenal have a game in hand, and Man United have four games left. So yes. that, that just feels yeah. like that's going to be too big, particularly when Spurs and us are playing each other, so it's quite a high percentage chance that one of the two of them is going to get those three points. And they've got to play Chelsea at home, United the next game. And you'd think they would, Chelsea wouldn't be playing as Yeah, I mean, crazy Chelsea, I don't know who Chelsea have got in between then and now, the weekend. They've got West Ham, I think. So Interesting. Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, uh, but it's, yeah. Not till, it's not till next Thursday, Chelsea, uh, the uh, United-Chelsea game, so l- less If Chelsea drop points at the weekend and then they go to Old Trafford, 
And suddenly, you know, if United have beaten Arsenal and are sort of confident again, then, you know, if Chelsea lost that game, add Chelsea back in that conversation again. This race has been so nuts that I can see last day of the season, last minute of the season, Paul Pogba <laughs> crosses the ball to the far post in the 97th minute of United's last game. Let me just check for you where and when that is. Away at Palace for Phil Jones to rise at the far corner post and <laughs> score with a, with a head that actually hits him in the face and causes him to make that special face that he makes and United qualifying uh, for the fourth place. Uh, let's hope it doesn't get to that. Well, or Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, that oh, is the oh. thing. He's ki- he's kind of the team in microcosm, isn't he? Because we know he's not what he was, but he is still capable of these moments that you're, that leave you raging because you're like, how is this guy still doing it? How is this team still doing it? But we know they can. I mean, we saw, we saw that a few weeks ago, Old Trafford in the Spurs game. I mean, look, their last two wins, he scored a hat-trick, right? And they haven't won any other games yeah. in the last like six or seven in the league or whatever. It's something stupid. Let's let's move on, if we may. Having not, I hope, demonstrate any kind of rationality about this, I was beside myself. As I say, once I saw the, the teams, I didn't watch it. So I'm, I'm flicking my phone on every now and then to see how it's going. Every time I flicked it on, Chelsea had just equalised. and I, So <laughs> in the second half, I presumed they would pull away. Wrong. In better news, it's fair to say, Oliver Skip has signed a new contract, the details of which I think you both have and broke, Charlie. Yeah. I mean, it's a big, big deal for him, obviously. Massive pay rising. He's in more than doubles what he was on previously and secures his future at the club till 2027. I mean, it's mad. It was pointed out to me, kind of while getting stuff together for this, that he will, be, he will have been at the club 20 years before this contract expires. Wow. I mean, that is that is mad. Very few players can say that. When Man and embryo. 20s. Yeah, genuinely. I mean, he joined when he was five. It's it's kind of crazy. You know, and it's, it's great news for the academy. It's great for them to, you know, be able to point to him and say, look, there is that pathway. And I remember interviewing Skip in 2019 and him talking about how Winks and Kane had shown that pathway to him and how he was, you know, using that. And obviously, since then, he's really gone from strength to strength. He shows as well, you know, the value of a good loan. He had that great year at Norwich. was really, really important for him. I think a lot of players, certainly in the Pochettino era, you look at someone like Carl Walker-Peters, you know, there's a real sense there that he would have benefited from one. But yeah, so big news, big deal for him. The, the shame of it, obviously, is this ongoing injury. Still no return date. And, you know, it may be that given the only real solution to it is rest, that the decision is made that, just give him a rest till next season, basically. Yeah. Let him have a proper preseason. Let him really focus on getting ready for next year, uh, which is a shame because you know he was in such good form, and you know I think he would have been pushing for an England place um, in those March friendlies, given the way he was playing. But yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good news, and and also for Spurs. I mean, they they remain incredibly good at signing their players to contracts. I mean, they don't have anyone. The only person whose contract is such as this summer is Galini, who will go you know who's only, who's only on a loan <laughs> who I don't think uh, you know I don't think there'll be too many. although you know we're legally obliged to say very popular in the dressing room has been a big character uh was at Deli Ali's birthday party in fact uh something a bit sad he must about be that, good though. yeah <laughs> given he could only have known him for a few Deli, months, Deli, but... Deli helped make the equalizer for Everton last night he did His first contribution yeah. for them is that enough to prompt an is Deli back piece Probably the, the bar's not, pretty not, low. Not enough to prompt forty million quid. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still, still waiting. For yeah. That. 
but yeah so hopefully Skip will be back soon and you know he, he is a, a really exciting player still talked about as a future captain at the club Conte loves him unsurprisingly I mean he's such a Conte player great attitude super fit one of the fittest at the club especially since Delhi left actually Delhi was always very high in those uh, categories as well listen let me ask you a question I'll, I'll ask it to James and I, there's nothing there's no side to this I, I want to ask in a system that we're currently playing let's assume Conte stays and we continue to play this you only have two in midfield officially you know you've got four but they're two of them are wing backs it strikes me they have to be people talk about the wing backs being the most vital players in this comp system I don't buy that I think the two central midfielders are the most important because they because of, because of their lack of numbers. We love Oli Skip because he is one of our own and he has improved and he's gone away. He's ultra professional. Is he going to be good enough for one of those two pivotal players in the middle of the of the, of the system Spurs are currently playing? If they're playing three five two, I'd have no question. He's absolutely perfect for that. But we don't play that. Yeah, it's difficult to know, isn't it? Because we haven't really seen him play. I think they weren't playing this system in quite the same way when he was fit. No. Um, and he's not played with Bentancourt. Yeah, exactly. Not played sure. with Bentancourt. So it's hard to say. I mean, I think when he got injured, and obviously, you know, as you were saying, it, it seemed like that was going to be terminal for Spurs and that, that was season over effectively because they weren't going to be able to replace him and the record without him was so bad. I think if you would ask then, you would say definitely yes. So the only thing that's really changed since then is that Hoiberg has played much better or perhaps a lot better than I think a lot of people expected in the last sort of two or three months. So really that shouldn't really move a dial in terms of our expectations for Skip, who you know, had a very good first half of the season and was clearly integral to the way Spurs were playing both under Nuno and Conte. So I don't... His skill set I think is pretty broad. Yeah. I mean, he's clearly not like a spectacular player in any sense, no. but he is very good at being in the right areas of the pitch and keeping things ticking over in a sort of less sexy, moderate sort of way, I guess. And and very good at like picking the ball up and, t- and winning the ball back. So, uh, yeah. I, I, sure, surely if you have two players in that system playing central midfield, you, you need them to have that broad skill set. And we probably have to have the expectation that with coaching from Conte and experience, he is going to improve in most of those areas. So I don't think it's unreasonable to expect him to grow into that. Such a lot is demanded of the two in that system, that thing you have to be really, very, you know, quite a special player to make it work at the upper echelons. But there is a sense, I mean, at the club, there is a lot of excitement of, of, of that skip Benton core partnership. Partly, you know, obviously we've never seen it. So it's, um, there's an element of the unknown about it. But yeah, I mean, there was a period that, and I'm told, you know, you always have to be a little skeptical of the amount of causality and correlation within this. But the win loss ratios were so. Uh, steeply different when Skip was playing mm. and when he wasn't, and he and he we talked about this the other day, didn't we? What I was saying about Darren Fletcher missing the Champions League final in two thousand and nine, and how that was sort of his best game for the club. You often realise a player's importance when they're not there. He missed that game. Skip, I think we really did get a sense of how important he was when he when he dropped out of the team. To be fair, at that point, Benson Kerr wasn't fully settled, and we were still Conte was still kind of alternating between Winks and um, and Hoybier. But I think I think James makes a really good point there about the broadness of his uh of his skill set because i do you, you do need to do a lot you you almost need to in a three you can be protected a little bit and a bit more specialized and you might not have to do everything because you've got two people with you when you're in that two you do need to be an all-rounder and skip is an all-rounder mm-hmm. i mean people think of i think some people think of him as a bit of, as a kind of defensive midfielder i mean he played as an eight throughout the academy he can do that he, he actually i think it was the brentford game the reverse fixture of what we have coming up 
uh, 2-0 win in December. And he played more as an eight, was quite progressive and played really, really well. He can do that. He's got a good passing range and he can win the ball back. So I think there's n- there's no reason to think mm. he can't he can't be a starter in a top four Premier League team, especially with Conte. He's learning all the time, very coachable. Uh, and, and a player coming through the academy and establishing them in the first team is one of the best things about being a football fan. Absolutely. So I, I, I do think it is... I think it is a really positive story. Okay, a player coming through the academy uh, establishment in the first team is one of the best things about football, but we're only allowed 25 players in the squads for reasons that I don't understand. So a, a new contract for one player must might well mean the closing of the door for another. Does this affect Harry Winks' position at the club? Well, I mean, I think Skip is viewed more as a future starter than Harry Winks is. I think, you, but you know, that's no, you, you see that in how in Conte's team selections. I mean, Harry Winks is among the players whose contract expires in the summer of 2024. So generally there's this thought, isn't there, with players, with two years left, you kind of have to make the decision on them. Are you going to try and offer them a new contract and pin them down? Or at a point where they hold the power? So, I mean, again, we've been saying this for a while, haven't we? I mean, I remember writing a piece on this in the season before last, you know, it was a kind of, should he stay or should he go moment when he wasn't playing and the Euros were coming up. So I think, but it will be an interesting summer for him. And I think he he and the club do have a big decision to make, you know, as, as to what this means. Because also we forget that Saar will come back, you know, that, so they will have an additional central midfielder, whatever happens, assuming they don't loan him out again. You know, so that would be Saar coming back, Saar, Hoybier, Skip, Bentoncourt is four already, Winks makes five. And if, and if they continue to play with only two, you'd think that's a bit bloated and Conte will yeah. want to bring in another central midfielder. So Exactly. I, I think the days of Harry Winks look like they're ended because I don't believe that he will go for a whole summer given Conte loves a shopping list without agitating for at least one central midfielder. But it's easy to pick on players who are not doing well. We should say congratulations to Oliver Skip because there would have been a time two years ago and you think, oh, this guy, is, you know, people talk about him. Who knows if he's going to make a Premier League footballer and clearly the new contract. I mean, the, chan- the chances of doing what that. he's done are minuscule. Absolutely minuscule. I mean, the odds are stacked against you to an absolutely incredible degree. So it is. And, and the great thing about him is he's done it through hard work, really. I mean, you know, there will have been Plenty of players more talented, as talented as him when he was coming through. I mean, a lot of people think as well, he he did benefit from partly maybe because of the position he plays. He wasn't hyped up in the way that, say, Marcus Edwards was or Troy Parrott was. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was able to get his head down a bit more. And and he just did that and has been uber professional. Uh, of course, Ndombele and Celso are probably back as well. Gosh, uh, yeah. To, <laughs> yeah. Um, to, to add to Spurs. How quickly we move on. Bulging... Um, kit basket of central midfielders let's take a break re-sign Delhi as well just for the fun of it well he'd probably be a free wouldn't he um, so uh, let, let's uh, let's uh, have a quick break when we come back we'll uh, I, I want to look forward to the game against Brentford if that is no, now the correct expression again and we'll also talk about uh, your article today Charlie which marks the five years since Ugo Ahog died you'll listen to the view from the lane Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Yeah, welcome back, everybody, to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. The other voices you're hearing today are those of James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. Um, Charlie, Hugo Ehihog never played for Spurs, but as your article points out, it's five years to the day since he died, and yet he is a revered figure at the club. Yeah, he really is. I mean, the, the impact he's left, you really feel it when you talk to people who played under him and who worked with him. And they really, they really do want to keep his memory alive at the academy and... Um, I talk about this in the piece every year and they'll do it today at around lunchtime at midday. They'll all get together, staff, former players, current academy players to kind of share their memories of him, talk about him. There's a big picture of him in the academy building. And, and for the piece, well, I was lucky enough to speak to Gareth Southgate as well, who was his great friend and obviously played with him. Uh, they had this centre-back partnership at Villa and Middlesbrough. And, you know, in the piece, you'll see the quote. The quotes are very, very strong from him. It clearly had a huge impact on him because I think Hugo was a very special person, and, and something he talks about, and all the coaches talk about, and indeed the players, is the rapport he was able to build up with these young guys. He had a real hinterland, you know. He's into music. He could just really connect with young people. He had and a record company. He ran their own record yeah, company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The 1975 ah. um, are famously part of it, and and it's just really interesting talking to youth coaches, people like Dean Rastrick, who runs the academy and saying, you know, you, you can't teach these things. You know, that a lot of coaching you can teach, but that rapport, that ability to connect with young people, that's a lot harder to teach. And that's why he's so revered, why he lives on and why players like uh, Luke Amos and Kyle Walker-Peter still have his images on their Twitter yeah. page. You know, yeah. he, he really, you know, people come along in our lives and they are really, really special. And I think he was one of those people. And, and that's why five years on, that loss is still felt really, really acutely by by a lot of people at Spurs and also obviously throughout football and, and far beyond that. Um, listen, thank you. The piece is well worth reading and uh, it's in The Athletic, as I'll tell you later. Right, um, we've got to win football matches, uh, James. Brentford, are we going to win that game? How are we going to win that game? You are the manager. Oh, 
Right, okay. <laughs> I mean, I do think, despite our emotional start to this podcast, I think the, probably, the answer to that is to not panic. And that will probably be Conte's approach when it's stick to what they were doing before and don't do anything drastic. I mean, I don't, I, I don't really see there's any major need to change the team. I mean, I don't really see what they can change, really. How exactly, could you? Yeah. It's not like you've got like a you know a creative midfield player that you can chuck in to change the system and you know replace Kolesevsky who didn't have a particularly good game last weekend. I mean, you can only really go with what they've got and hope for the best. I, I, I think that game did underline the Brighton game did underline. I don't know. You talked about this earlier in the week. The fact that they haven't got that, like a real kind of playmaker, a Christian Eriksen type. In fact, yeah. I mean, maybe that yeah. will be hammered home even more painfully on Saturday. But yeah, I I don't really see that they can afford to do anything crazy with the team. And I just don't really think they ha- really have the the options to do that. So it, it seems like a fairly straightforward answer, really. The strike this strikes me that there is one option, and he's not going to do this. But we've been asked here to uh, to blue sky, and that is he could break the habit of a lifetime. Because the problem, one of the problems um, against Brighton, was that in the middle of midfield we just had no way of getting the ball forward accurately. And I'm not suggesting for one minute that Harry Winks is going to do that specifically, but you could you could take the left-sided defender out, out of the team, put Davis at left-back and play 4-3-3. You reinforce a midfield that was sliced through by Brighton. You stop the problem that neither Reggion nor Emerson Royal really has done a lot in the attacking half, despite getting some really good positions over the last little while. I know Reggion could have had a couple of goals in various games. I do, I do get that. And do you really need three centre-backs to deal with uh, with Ivan Tony, um, who will presumably play on his own up front for Brentford? It's just a thought. When we say you can't do anything, you know, you've, you've got a squad of players. You can always do something if you wanted to. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not advocating even that he does that, but I was thinking, what is the is there anything semi-radical that he could do to stop a repeat of the game against Bright and the first half against Aston Villa, which were very close blood relatives. And the first half against Newcastle mm-hmm. wasn't great either. Mm-hmm. The other option, on a, on a, the only straightforward personnel choice, I guess you'd say, is Sessignon could come in for Regulon. Mm-hmm. Um, he might do that. If you wanted to tweak the system, but not quite as radically as what you're suggesting, Danny, what he could do is go to a 3-5-2 and, and replace Royale with Winks. So Kudusevsky moves to right wing mm-hmm. back. Winks comes into a central midfield three with Hoybier and Bentoncourt. Kudusevsky has played there a little bit for Spurs in extremis, and Conte said he could do that role. Again, I, I can't see it, but that is a possibility if he wants to stiffen the midfield without uh, and change the system without dropping any of the front three, which obviously he's not going to do. And that would be a way of offsetting the fact that without Doherty, they don't have a threat from the right with with Royale, despite the fact, you know, he's giving everything. I don't think you can question no, his work rate, no, no. but he's he's a, he's a you know, a reasonably defensive fullback. He's not an attacking winger. I mean, I wonder whether he's been actually told not to cross the ball. Um, several mm. positions against Brighton where he um, was in a position where he could have lumped it in. But let's be, you know, that's, the, that, yeah. that's an old-fashioned phrase for crossing the ball. But he, he cut back inside and looked for other players. And maybe that was because the team had suddenly developed this kind of nervous tick. There was just no confidence. Or he'd been told, not not you, don't cross the ball in. I don't know. And James, I suppose hearing myself and Charlie outlining our alternative plans, you must be very glad that it is Antonio Conte who actually managed the <laughs> yeah. team. I mean, well, like I say, I think that does sort of <laughs> underline the fact that there isn't the depth or the flexibility in the squad to change it, which maybe just as well, because I don't think he's going to anyway. 
I don't really think he's minded to change his system, is he? No, although he, he has he has played a three five two once or twice. In fact, in that in one of Skip's last games, that one against Leicester, he played all three of Skip, Winks, and Hoybier, and, and it worked pretty well. But yeah, I mean, if he if he can avoid it, he'll absolutely stick with the three four three. It is worth reiterating that he he won the Scudetto last year when he changed the team quite late in the season, two thirds of the way through the season, when he realised that uh, Inter were running out of certain kinds of ideas, and he played. Ericsson, of all people, mm. Ericsson suddenly appeared in behind a front two of Martinez and Lukaku. So he can change it if he wants to. He chose to do it there and it, and it had great, great results. We, we also shouldn't forget that, you know, it wasn't only one game. Before the Brighton game, we were saying, me especially, I hold my hands up and I still think it's the case, that they had really clicked as an attacking unit. You know, they were scoring, the evidence was there for all to see us. It wasn't like a hunch. They were scoring a bucket load of goals. So I don't think off the back of one off day, which, you know, he will hope it was, you then start saying we should change the system, which I know mm. you're not suggesting that. No, you know, no. it's just about dis- discussing the yeah, options. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I do think he should keep it. I, I wanted to ask you guys, what, I mean, something I'm looking at ahead of the game, this kind of idea that Spurs could resign Ericsson and, you know, it, it is a possibility that it could happen. Well, and we touched on it last week, I think, or earlier this week, but we, are you all for that? Are you sort of thinking mm, maybe not the smartest? I mean, I'm, I'm sceptical personally. They've won every game he started. Yeah. And they're Brentford, in the, they're Brentford in the Premier League. I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's pretty incredible, really. I think it's like six games he started and they've won them all. Or something five, like that. Maybe? five, maybe? <laughs> I mean, it is, it's good, though. It's, it's a decent, <laughs> that's a good, it's a decent I was record. saying that, you know, people are sceptical of those win-loss ratios, but yeah, that, that's fairly striking. Yeah, I mean, that feels like, uh, like a, uh, it feels almost too obvious, doesn't it? You know, he's played for Conte before. He got up to speed in that system. Obviously, he's familiar with Spurs. They need a player who can play in that role. And I mean, I think actually, maybe it'd be a situation where they weren't necessarily reliant on him in every single game as well. I don't know whether that would be good or bad from his perspective. But, I mm. mean, it feels so obvious to me. It does. My only thing is whether it's, a, like, if it's... Spurs have made a lot of short-term decisions over the last few years and it's not always worked out that well. And I just wonder if that... I mean, their, their whole... What what we're told by Paratici and others is that, you know, their, their transfer build dealings are about building for the future. You know, signing players that are kind of ready for now, but also have a big future ahead of them. Benton, Kur, Kudusevsky being, you know, the sort of but the paradigm. If you, can, if you can go out and get Ericsson for nothing in the summer and you can be, I mean, you can never be certain, but you can be fairly sure that he's going to be able to do that job for Spurs for at least two seasons, say. That gives you the time and the financial flexibility to work out who the next one is and bring them in and let them have a bit of time to... Let me put it more bluntly to you both. If you had a choice between bringing in Ericsson for nothing in the summer or paying 60 million for James Madison, which one would you do, Charlie? I'd bring Ericsson in for, for nothing, but I, I don't think, like, nothing is a little bit misleading because mm-hmm. obviously these players come with fairly big wages. You know, you have to give them reasonable contracts for yes, them to come. Yes, all players do. But yes, I agree, yeah, I agree. And, and also, you know, we talked, you know, homegrown quotes, all of this thing, they take up a place in the squad. It's not, Spurs don't, Spurs aren't a Chelsea who can just go out and sign a load of players and if, the, and if, half of them don't work, well, yeah, the former Chelsea, uh, then it doesn't really matter. I mean, their level of wastage is staggering. I mean, we're talking, you know, you're talking about the players who played yesterday and we're saying aren't good enough. You know, <laughs> Lukaku cost almost 100 million and it's like, 
nah, yeah, but didn't work out, whatever, just move him on. Timo Werner, who I know is sort of doing okay by pretty low standards, cost of fortune as well. They can just bring, I mean, they, what do they, they run Ziyech, Havertz, whatever, you know, Spurs can't do that. So it's not quite as simple as just saying, you know, he's not coming and playing for free. Certainly I would prefer, and I love both of these players, to the, that whatever is the constituent parts of my DNA, and I, I don't have enough Higgs boson points to know what that is, I would prefer him to Gareth Bale, which also keeps coming up, doesn't it? I mean, I don't think Bale will have him for a third time, but I mean, is there anything to be learnt from the Bale return? Though I guess that worked I thought out Bale reason. did really I mean, well. that worked out okay. Well, yeah, 17 goals. Yeah, his numbers were great. Games. I mean, I... He scored more than a goal a game in the Premier League but per 90 last season. It's a different player and it's a different manager. And those two things align more neatly. I'm being very diplomatic here. Uh, <laughs> yes, as you can probably uh, tell. a lot more neatly. Uh, I, 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 I don't imagine a lot of those players... Does, does Ericsson even play golf? Imagine, <laughs> imagine, imagine one season of a motivated Gareth Bale near a, near a lot of very good golf courses in North London and with the World Cup coming up to get fit for, imagine him playing as left or right wing back in Conte's system. Just a thought. Lots of six fives, great. That's what Spurs are for. That would be That's that exactly would be what incredible. they're for. Yeah, get Babatov. Get back Mark Falco, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's been, um, as I have to say, considering the mood I was in after last night's result in West London, um, I thought I wouldn't necessarily enjoy this, but it's been an absolute joy. So thank you to James, who I'm sure is often called an absolute joy. That, yes, often. very, very much so. Yeah. And you, Charlie, it's a standard, standard description of you, isn't it? So thank you very much indeed. Thank you all for listening. And remember, as I always tell you at this stage, and I mean it, that if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, then you can sign up right now to read all of our articles on Spurs. Uh, you'll also have access to everything else on the site, which, believe me, is a lot of gear. Uh, just go to athletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Sign up right now for just £1 a month for the first six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. We'll be back on Monday, where no doubt our mental temperature will have been affected again by such stupid things as the results of football matches. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.